Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Sci-Fi Wise Guys podcast. My name is Anthony. And my name is Chris. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right on this beautiful Saturday morning. I got the cold, crisp, 49 degree air, 49 degree air outside. Ooh, uh, yes. My heater good. turned on for the first time since Snowpocalypse 2021. How'd it smell? Uh, it, 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 there was no problem. No dead animals, no. apparently. Good. No good. So. <laughs> good. Mine didn't smell of dead animals, but it was definitely like, hmm, there was some dust in there. <laughs> I live with someone who turns the AC on every night, and last night was no exception. I woke up this morning and thought, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to freeze to death. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Is it February? Hold on. I turned the... Hold on. <laughs> I turned the heater on to like 67, 68. They complained hmm. that it was too hot. Yeah, well, I, I don't I don't even have any into that story. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, no, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm kind of upset now, actually, that you mentioned it. Like, now you should be. I want everyone to be upset. <laughs> I want the, the hundreds of people out there that are going to listen to this to just collectively get upset, cry just out in grow- anger. They all just groan at once like, ugh. That person. (laughs) That person. We know who you are. Speaking of knowing what we are. Yes. We are the Sci-Fi Wise Guys. And on the Sci-Fi Wise Guys podcast, we review straight to stream science fiction and science fiction adjacent movies, live action, animated television series, web TV series, video shorts, fan films. You know, if if it didn't release, if it didn't get a major theater release, we're probably going to watch it. Yes. So, Anthony. Yeah. What did we watch? We watched the American animated Nickelodeon television series, Star Trek Prodigy, released exclusively Mm. for Paramount Plus, although I do believe they're going to release on Nickelodeon sometime early next year. It says that it will then air on Nickelodeon before the second season is released. There you go. Perfect. So we don't know when. (laughs) Our second, third, second and or third animated Star Trek show. The third overall, the second that we're reviewing for this yes. podcast. Yes. Very different than the others. There are some facts out there. This, I mean, but when we're recording this, this aired two days ago mm-hmm. on October 28th, 2021. On IMDb, it's currently sitting at 6.7 out of 10 stars with 400 reviews. I didn't look for reviews anywhere else. Do you have any other aggregate sites that you wanted to share? Rotten Tomatoes, 80% fresh based on five critical reviews. Audience score of 74% based on 19 user ratings. Metacritic has 68 Metascore based on four critical reviews. A user score of 5.0 based on four user ratings. And overall, not enough uh, user ratings on Google. Yeah, I suspect not. It's it's very, very new. This is the third... Fourth, this is the fourth show in the whole, in the Kurtzman era Star Trek. We had Discovery and then Picard, then Lower Decks, and now Prodigy. It does differ not only is it it animated and computer animation. It is the first Star Trek show geared towards a younger audience, geared towards children. Well, if I remember right, the the Star Trek animated series wasn't a children's show, but it wasn't like it was like um kind of middle of the pack for both audiences, both children and adults. Like, I, neither of us were alive when it was aired. No. Originally. But I think if you go back and watch those episodes, the tone is similar to the original series. 
but it's different enough that you could concede that it was probably aimed at a younger audience. But Star Trek Prodigy is definitely aimed directly at children. Right. I think the whole thing with the animated series is because it is a cartoon in that time period, mm-hmm. I imagine that they they wanted to be sure they didn't have anything because a kid is going to watch it on purpose mm-hmm. or on accident because it's animated. So they made sure it was okay mm-hmm. for children. But this is, de- yeah, like you said, this is rated TVY7. Like it is aimed at children. How do you feel about that? Like before we talk about the show, just the, the idea of having a Star Trek show that is aimed at that demographic. In terms of children being the the target audience, I think that's a it's an interesting concept, or, or at least it's an interesting direction for Star Trek, which I think that for years, I think something that is has been difficult for maybe not necessarily the fandom, but maybe the uh, the people behind the shit, like the intellectual property, have always had issues breaking into that demographic. Okay, because while you and myself and many other people watch Star Trek as children. It was probably because we watched it with our parents or our parents introduced us to an adult show when we were old enough and capable, mentally capable enough or understanding, maybe not all, but some of the complex ideas and Mm -hmm. um, information being thrown at us. Sure. Whereas, I'm going to mention it because we are... At 24 minutes and 12 seconds, Star Wars has always been easier to aim at children. That sounds terrible, aim at children. But it's always been easier to present market to a, to a younger audience. Yes, market is because it's essentially, I don't want to go on that rant about the Arthurian legend, but it's a fantasy story. Like it's about a hero. If you break it down to its base, like brass tacks, like it's, you know, you have a hero, a princess, uh, a wise mentor. Like it's it's a fable. Like, you're able to tell that story no matter how many times or how many series or how many shows you have. They all follow the same formula, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Luke is easy to attach to, even if you're a child. Because, like, man, he's just like me. He's lost and he needs to help. He needs to find himself. Yeah, he's a terrorist. And- yeah. <laughs> but um, but with Star Trek, you have an entire, like, crew to get to know, right? Like, mm-hmm. I- I'm not going to ask you your favorite character, but, like, it's easy to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. As an adult, you'd be like, oh, I definitely relate to O'Brien, or I definitely relate yeah. to Beverly Crusher, I definitely relate to Picard. But when you're a kid, you know, you're stuck with Wesley Crusher, unfortunately. And so I think the idea of concepting, uh, brainstorming, and producing a show directly aimed or marketed towards children, I think, is a bold step. And uh, here in a minute, we'll get into our initial thoughts and opinions, but let me flip it back to you. How do you feel about it? No, oh, I think it's awesome. I think it's fantastic. I think that a lot of the ideas and themes of Star Trek are, ex- are it's so easy to take them and repackage them for a younger audience. Some of those same mm-hmm. ideals and share just the tenets of Star Trek, whether it's acceptance and progression or the idea that, you know, we all can be better. I think that's something that is universal. And you, you're definitely right. Definitely got introduced to Star Trek by watching it with my parents uh, and being sent out of the room a couple of times when when there was a Riker episode, I don't, I still don't know why. <laughs> it's you just you you weren't ready for Ambu Jitsu. I just Ambo wasn't. Jitsu, I just wasn't ready for, ready for it. It's it too violent. There's it's the dude in the red, and then the dude in the white, and you know, there's just too many. There's too many layers there. I'm not wearing hockey pads. Sorry. Yes, uh, they definitely were. <laughs> It, 
either way, no, I think it I think it's kind of weird that it took this long. But you you brought up Star Wars, so I feel free to to talk about it as well. I mean, it was aimed towards families and children. It was marketed. The thing about Star Wars is it's just so accessible. Well, kind of. Yeah. It was aimed. It was aimed. And here's, here's where I'm going to, I guess, disagree with you a little bit. They changed the plot of Return of the Jedi so that they could market toys to children. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've just meant the original Star Wars oh, movie. Oh, the first movie. Hope. Sure. The first yeah, movie yeah, yeah. is the derivative. It's fantastic. It's great. Heavily influenced by just everything yeah. that came before it. But you could take your kids to it. You but know, you could take your kids to it. Exactly. 70, whatever. Yeah. But you can't, like, you could take your kids to Star Trek The Motion Picture in 1979, I believe, mm-hmm. or 77. But uh, they would be bored out of their minds. <laughs> you could go watch it as an adult and you could be bored, be bored yeah. out of your mind. <laughs> and then you get Wrath of Khan, which is is not child friendly. It's dealing with concepts and it has a little bit of gore, but it, it's dealing with concepts that are just not they're just not hitting. Right. But I do I do feel it's it's a bit odd. I find it weird that Star Trek took, took so long to just have. I mean, at one point, like most of the 90s, we had at least two adult themed i say adult themed that meant something different in the 90s than it does today a, a more mature audience as yes mature themed start live action star trek shows going on at the same time and no one thought when we got when they got to voyager or enterprise like oh you know maybe we mix it up <laughs> maybe we do something <laughs> for this audience i'll sum it all up by saying that it's it's about time i guess like this seems like the most logical step for them to have taken and it took them a long time to do it and, I, and i'm i'm glad they did we have, uh, not you and I, but myself and other people that you and I both know, have argued for, I wouldn't say hours, but a long time about why Star Wars has always been a more popular franchise. And it's because it is more accessible for a younger audience. You know, mm-hmm. you grow up becoming a fan of things that you're exposed to. And if you don't watch Star Trek as a child... Or as a, or as a as a younger adult, you're probably not going to experience it in the same way that you would as Star Wars. Because again, you can watch all nine Star Wars movies with like a five year old for the most part. Yeah, like yeah. like what's the worst thing that they'll see? Uh, you know, Anakin, <laughs> Anakin <laughs> you know, killing children, ki- killing children, right? Yeah. Um, but a, with a cutaway, with a cutaway, yeah, 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 yeah. But like people getting limbs chopped off, falling out of buildings, robot like and like droids being destroyed, planets exploding. Judging from the amount of children I see show, up, and I when I say children, I mean five and six year olds that get taken to PG thirteen movies. I guess yeah. I say recently pre pandemic, but recently, yeah, the people you can sit down and watch it. And it engages them. You can buy a Darth Vader costume for a seven-year-old. Yeah, that's a mass murderer. he's a horrible person. He's a horrible person. He's a terrible human being. But but seven-year-olds will dress up as him. Whereas if I see a seven-year-old dressed up as Khan. That's a cool seven-year-old. I'm avoiding that person for my entire (laughs) life. That's a cool seven-year-old. I wonder if he did it on his own. (laughs) But yeah, so whereas Star Wars and Star Trek both kind of fill that big uh, science fiction opera. I think that you are right. It is, a, it is about time that whoever the is in charge of Paramount, whoever's in charge of Star Trek, Big Rod, Roddenberry Incorporated, whatever it's called, it is about time that you guys decided to aim at children. Not, I'm sorry, market to children. <laughs> Aiming at children in. just sounds so bad. <laughs> oh, man. So, okay. So we're behind the idea 
of it. I don't think mm-hmm. that the idea of this was nearly as controversial as the idea behind Lower Decks being what it is. I know there was a lot of a lot of controversy and pushback in different subsets of the community about that. I think people are a lot more accepting of this expansion. I do think that if we'd gotten like if we gotten Discovery and then this without getting Picard and Lower Decks first, I think it would be a little different. <laughs> like like you're going to be this divisive live action show and then you're going to go straight into this for children, like give me something. So, I think it's I think it's uh, pretty well placed. Well, let's talk about it. You want to talk about it? Like we can not talk it, about the show, Star but let's Trek talk about Prodigy. Prodigy. Yeah, let's talk about yeah. Star Trek Prodigy. We watched just because uh, that's all it's out. We watched the first two episodes. Oh, I watched just the f- first. So the first episode is cut together. At, oh, it is a two-parter. Okay. Which I was like, why is this 46 minutes long? I was yeah, really yeah, excited yeah. for it being 46 <laughs> minutes. I was like, children aren't watching. So they're like, how do they do this? But no, it is episodes one and two, Lost and Found part one and two, are presented as one episode on Paramount+. So is, so is episode one Lost and episode two Found? Well, which one's and? Yeah. No, no, no. It's Lost and Found. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> Take it away, Chris. <laughs> well, for my initial thoughts and opinions... I would say that out of all the computer-generated 3D animation that I've seen, just in, like, I'm going to talk about just the animation for a second. Okay. Pretty good. Not the best that I've ever seen, but I think that that's not something that they're necessarily concerned about, you know? As an adult, this is this is an adult thing for me only. Or maybe not adult, but maybe just like um, a seasoned veteran of watching things, right? <laughs> the seasoned veteran of consuming Star Trek your entire life. Uh, no, 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 yeah, no. Just yeah. no. Uh, computer generated uh, 3D oh, animation, right? Gotcha, gotcha. Like, as much as I love the show Reboot, really low on the scale, right? Oh, really yeah. low. Like, it, yeah. it's pretty bad. But it came out in the 90s. It's whatever. I've watched a lot of children's programming because I have uh, younger nieces or niece and nephews. And I'm sure you've watched children's programming because you have uh, younger siblings. Yeah, it's pretty good. I think that a lot of the characters are really interesting. I only identified like two or three of them. Are you talking about reboot or Star Trek Prodigy? Uh, Star Trek Prodigy. Side note: We should do an episode on reboot. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize the the Medusan. I recognized the Tellarite, obviously, obviously. But everyone else, I think, is a Woolly original idea, right? Gwen. Going to go ahead and just throw out some names here. Uh, is described as a 17-year-old Val Naakat? Naakat? I don't know. I've never seen one of those in Star Trek before. I could be wrong. They might exist already. I don't recall. It's just brand new stuff, which is cool. The rock lady is a Brakar. Or is Brakarian. That, or is it? that is not new. Okay, that cool. was. I think it's the first time we're seeing them on official, in official canon, like in a show. Mm. They're in some novels and possibly Star Trek Online. I'm not 100% on that. Okay. According to memory, Beta mm-hmm. uh, are a species native to the planet Brakar, TNG novels, Worf's First Adventure, Line of Fire, and Survival. Yes. So, so Star Trek, New Frontier, cool. Pendragon. They're in the Beta Quadrant, not far from the Klingon Empire. Mm. Yeah. The characters seemed interesting. The locale, which looks like a giant asteroid that they're mining out, is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Some of the choices that they decided to make, for example, inhibiting their ability to communicate because there's no universal translators. I thought that was really fun. Oh, that was really interesting. Yeah. 
there was no character with one massive exception that really bothered me or annoyed me or gave me any sort of like, uh, and that was just Murph. <laughs> you didn't like Murph? Blob. No, it's just like, eh. You know, Murph like, is yes. their number one selling toy already, man. They yeah, can't... I know. That's why I don't. That's why I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. The one piece that's probably geared the most towards towards children, and you're like, mm, I hate it. Yeah, I, it's the same reason why I didn't like Wesley Crusher. I'm like, oh, okay. So you're patronizing me now. That's what this is. <laughs> you're not a child anymore, man. <laughs> I enjoyed what I watched the first two episodes. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was really neat. So, how about you? I would agree with almost every point, except for the Murph hate. I I enjoyed it. I thought that... That's me. Yeah. Don't be an (laughs) anti-Murph. I thought the animation was great. I thought that some of the shots, some of the wide shots with the... With that, like with the ship or the, uh, oh, the space c- and whatnot. The cinematography is, is amazing. Like, yeah. it's weird for me to say that a animated show is very well directed, but I felt like it was very well directed. <laughs> <laughs> like, had some wonderful, wonderful just views and scenes. I liked. Or I'll talk about the plot in a minute, but just to continue to talk about the production of it. Whoever's in charge of, uh, I hate to cut you off, sorry, but whoever's in charge of like storyboarding. All the new Star Trek is doing a really good job. Like like Lower Decks, Discovery, uh, and this show, and uh, the few episodes of Picard that I've seen. Like, whoever is in charge of making sure that they are doing a great job shooting it, A+. Shout out. Go ahead. No, absolutely. Music. The episode starts with the opening bar or bars of the Voyager theme, and then it melts into some unique theme that felt very... Kelvin verse felt very very uh, Abram movie esque, but then it, it kept weaving in these other things. Like I even I like got some point I was like, oh well, that was a couple of notes and beats from the TNG theme song. And then when we finally get the whole, because they don't do the theme until the end of the two parter with the ship flying around, it was very. It's hard not to compare it to Voyager because of I think that they're trying to make us compare it to Voyager. I liked it a lot. I liked the visuals in in that theme. The ship looks cool, which will. We can talk more oh, about Protoss- later on the, the protostar s protostar yeah just the whole presentation and the sound was fantastic the voice acting yeah it was good enough i didn't have any major qualms with it there wasn't anything super challenging as far as the voice acting went so I, that's why i say that i had no qualms with it. there was nothing wrong with it but there's also nothing that stuck out as oh my wow that's really good but I, I don't think they've had a chance to and with the children's show they might not get that chance very often i got some star wars vibes in yeah. the beginning. And I I don't necessarily... I know that there's going to be a lot of people on the internet who are going to make that comparison. Because it is 3D animated. It is sci-fi. They're going to immediately get that Clone Wars or Rebels or whatever Star Wars vibe. And they're going to hate it because of that. I think other people might like it because of that. Personally, I'm, I'm kind of meh. It's okay. I think you can find an episode of this podcast where I talked about rewatching Star Trek V, Final Frontier arguably the worst i remember comparing it negatively to star wars like they open up and it's like a faux cantina scene and it's all dirty and blah 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 you know since then i have watched all of tng all of deep space nine i'm uh not quite halfway through voyager right and we've we've seen lower decks and rewatched a little discovery like i've seen a lot of star trek since i rewatched the the movies like i rewatched the movies and then immediately jumped into all this other stuff right and I think that I judged it too quickly and too harshly. I think that, I oh mean, I just, I think that every time we get a scene in which 
there's a character or they're they're not at Starfleet, right? They're not in the ship. They're in wherever else. They're in some meeting place or some off-the-grid junkyard or whatever they are. Even kind of thinking of some things in TNG. Like, it feels Star Wars because it feels like a lived-in universe. I think that's one thing that isn't in the 90s Trek isn't very well established is that the Enterprise D doesn't feel lived in. It feels pristine and it feels a little too utopian. Um, and the characters feel alive, but the environment just isn't there. It's the same hallways and there's nothing changing and it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like people stay there. Even when it shows me their rooms, I'm like, somebody lives in this room? That's <laughs> knickknacks. There's knickknacks from Ikea over there. Yeah. They haven't moved in three seasons. You know, it's just weird stuff. There was some minor exceptions. So I think that I judged it too harshly. So I think when it gets compared to Star Wars and that it feels alive and it feels uh, grounded in a, in, a, in a way that maybe mainline, you know, Enterprise, as in USS Enterprise stories aren't, I think that's a good thing. I didn't like that all of the bad guys were just robots until I realized after watching it and I was, I was digesting, I was like, oh, well, it's a children's show. They're going to kill a lot of those things. <laughs> they needed to be okay to kill a lot of those things. So they're robots. I think I've seen a few things comparing Dreknock, Dreadnought, Dreadnock. There you go, Dreadnock to General Grievous, which is oh, probably yeah, yeah. fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nothing we can really do about that. But those aside, like I, I think that it still stands on its own, and I really, really enjoyed it. I liked it, and I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing it next week. Yeah. So depending on where you look, like episode two comes out next week. But we've already seen episode two. IMDb shows it skipping next week and showing episode three the week after and then doing a two-parter for the end. I have no idea when episode two is coming out. It is coming out next Thursday or the next Thursday. I have no idea. We'll find out. If we could jump back to your like the the Star Wars vibes that you got, the thing that really drew me that I wouldn't say drew me, but the thing that really like pulled me in that direction was just the thing that Star Wars has always done really well is showing aliens that are alien. Yeah. That aren't just like, I mean, there is enough scientific proof or at least scientific theories that prove that being a biped is probably how most um, intelligent life forms would develop eventually because you're like, if your brain is stored in your head, then it would make sense that that would be the very, very top of your body. I mean, we're applying earth evolution theory to right whatever right, else. Right, right. but you're yeah. right you're right as best yeah, as that's we that's know, the idea sure. that's the idea that if if you were an intelligent species and in your your planet toyed was very similar to earth you would the dominant species would eventually evolve to become a biped right in theory but star wars has always given us like guado or whatever his name is Watto, the like the doug the alien that yeah. moves around yeah. on his hands or um no that's not guado Watto's the flying guy but like they have different aliens like the even the the Gungans, <laughs> with the floppy ears and the bug eyes. Yeah, they're still those are still biped, but the different. Yeah, but they're just they're just so alien. Being birthed you know I mean? with like, a much higher budget. I mean, think yeah. about the cantina scene in Star Wars, you know, and all of the weirdness and the different aliens and whatnot. Star Trek yeah. didn't have the ability to do that from a production standpoint. <laughs> you know, coming out in the the sixties and just whatever budget they had and trying to show new aliens every week. We always had different kinds of aliens to see, and I think that this show does a really good job of that. We obviously have the weird blob Murph thing. A Medusin, which is a non-corporeal, genderless, energy-based life form. 
pretty neat. And then the brick car is a biped, but it's a gigantic thing made out of rocks, right? Possibly <laughs> silicon based. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, no, I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. And they showed all the, the, the different kinds of aliens. I mean, they were in pressure suits, so you really couldn't see them, but no, I thought it was really cool. I don't want to deep dive the story. I'm not going to dissect this story because it is just a pilot. I think that it does a good enough job of getting all of our characters in one place, giving us all of their motivations, or at least enough of it for them to be together, like everything makes sense up to this point. And then just as I predicted about 20 minutes in, Janeway shows up for the last three seconds. (laughs) (laughs) She's got to get that episode credit. She's got to get that episode credit. (laughs) I think that's all good. I thought it set up the bad guys well enough. Like I felt all good about that, but I'm trying to figure out There's a lot of mystery here because they're in the Delta Quadrant, right? I don't know if they ever say what quadrant they're in, but I feel like they've said they're in the Delta Quadrant. Oh, I the only thing I know about the Delta Quadrant is that on Memory Alpha, when you search the USS Protostar, it says the Protostar disappeared in the Delta Quadrant years before 2383, which is the year in which this takes place. There you go. So there's a bunch of Alpha and Beta Quadrant aliens in this episode. I mean, the what is it? The, I'm going to mispronounce it. The Medusan? Yeah. Uh, who knows where they're from, but they're non-corporeal, so who knows? But then the yeah. Tellarite, that was the biggest one. I was like, oh, that's a Tellarite? Like, oh, okay. Like, I thought yeah. it looked similar enough, but... Yeah. As, as soon as the Kazon showed up, I was like, oh, we're in the Delta Quadrant. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Kazon. Yeah. I, I looked into it, and apparently if you watch with subtitles, the little cat creature is a, a Caitlin or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that, did I pronounce okay. that right? Just like Dr. Ta'ana. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm very interested to figure out, like, how is a Tellarite there? A young Tellarite. And how does he not know? How does he not recognize the Federation? And the villain mentioned the Federation at some point. So they he's aware that the Federation exists. I don't know. I'm confused about where exactly they are, how far away they are from everything. I think the Tellarite is like, he doesn't come out and say it, but he says, like, you've seen one starship, you've seen them all. So I think that maybe like he saw it and immediately recognized that it was a Federation ship. Like it's my headcanon maybe, but no one else brought up that it was a Federation ship. He just assumed that they knew, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. That maybe. doesn't feel like good maybe, to me, but maybe in the next couple episodes, we'll figure out what's going on. Why? Because I, from what I just, from what I've gleaned, at least with this, uh, the diviner, what's a. Yeah, that's 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 his title, the Diviner. He's lying to his daughter, who we assume is his daughter, that they are the last of their race. So he's trying to find her a mate or a match or something. And the reason why he makes all these or he gets these aliens that nobody wants is he's trying to find the perfect match, maybe with DNA or whatever. I don't know. Oh, you think he's got some other reason besides just looking for the protostar? Oh, well, I mean, that's what Homeboy even says. Like, hmm. after Gwen leaves the room and it's just him and Dreadnought, he's like, she can never know our real plan. Well, what's the real plan? What is it? Yeah. Tell me. I mean, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's typical. I, I hate I hate to say this because it's, it's a very typical kind of children show villain stuff to have all this this mystery and their plans and whatnot. But I, I like it. I like it quite a bit. Let's talk about some of the actors if we can. Please. Brett Gray, someone that I've never, ever seen on television. <laughs> it looks like a lot of TV acting, which is cool. A couple of movies here. A lot of a show called On My Block. He's in 38 episodes. Okay. I've never heard of On My Block, but apparently it's a coming-of-age story about four bright, sav- street-savvy friends navigating themselves through high school in the gritty South Central Los Angeles. Okay. Congratulations, Brett. Ella Purnell, 
Name seems semi-familiar. She's got 24 acting credits, a lot of television, a couple movies. She was in Kick-Ass 2. This character named Dulce. Do you recognize the name Dulce? Dulce? Yeah. Yeah. She was also in Maleficent. Neat. Uh, your boy, Maleficent? Jason. Malefic- Maleficent? Mal- Mal- Maleficent. Maleficarum. <laughs> Maleficarum. Your boy, Jason <laughs> Mantazukas. Yeah, you know, did not expect that. I didn't yeah, look at these. Yeah. I didn't look at the voice actors beforehand. So that was a interesting. He started talking surprise. and I was like, this dude again. <laughs> <laughs> Angus Ermy plays Zero, someone who I don't know anything about. 21 acting credits, a lot of TV. Uh, obviously, Kate Mulgrew, we don't got to do We don't have to litigate that. D. Bradley Baker, famous voice actor, plays Murph. Wait, there's a voice actor for Murph? Yeah, D. Bradley Baker. But Murph doesn't... All right. Well, D. Bradley Baker is famous for no, no, just doing, like, noises. <laughs> I get it. Just... All right. I think this... If I remember right, yeah, this young girl... Oh, no, she's not. Okay, cool. I thought she was... She looks very, very similar to the girl that's in Game of Thrones, but it's not her. Who are you so talking about? Eight, the girl who plays Rock Talk. Riley... Riley Elazarakai. Ten, oh, she's 11 Aki? years old, 10 years old, maybe, yeah. when she was recording this. Yeah. Yeah. Bonnie Gordon plays a ship's computer. I don't think we've heard the ship's voice yet. Jimmy Simpson, he plays Dreadnought. Got his big break, from what I understand, in a movie called Loser from 2000, starring Jason Biggs. Do you remember that movie? Where he goes, I like, don't. To New York. He goes to college in New York City, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, this guy plays a character named Noah. And the only thing I remember about Noah is that at the end credits, he, like, experimented to create a super drug and has to drink out of a tube. It's <laughs> the only thing I remember about that, right. sh- that show, that movie. Yeah. John Noble is the diviner. John Noble has over 72 acting credits. He's Denethor from Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you recognized his voice when he was talking. I don't. I don't recognize voices when they're talking. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's some other characters that we haven't seen yet, but they are like, but they are recognizable actors and actresses. Yeah. It's like who? Cool. Uh well, spoilers in three, two, one. Robert Beltran reprises his role as Captain Chakotai. Uh <laughs> J- Jamila J- Jamil plays an ensign Asin- Asensia. She's from um The Good Place. Yep. I think, right? That's her? Yeah. yeah I yeah, believe yeah, yeah, so. Yeah. Did you click on her? She looks like her. I, I feel real I, bad if I <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, no she's she is. Place. Okay, good. All right, good. good. Jason, Jason Alexander, my boy, <laughs> coming in hot with Dr. Noom. And then David Diggs, or David Diggs, not sure. Sorry, man. He was the Marquis de Lafayette in Hamilton. Yeah, does a lot of voice acting. He plays a Commander Tysis. Yeah. So the, just those spoilers right there make me feel like we're going to run into some band of Starfleet at some point. I don't know. Why did you laugh when I said Commander Chukotai? Because Chakotay. Oh, that's right. It is Chakotay. Yeah, you know, you're right. Oh, you were just, okay. I thought you were making a joke. Oh, no. No, I'm no, sorry. no. I just, I'll never laugh when I, you say something funny again, just in case it accidentally oh. hurts your feelings. No, no. I, was, I wasn't <laughs> bothered. No, you are right. I did mispronounce his name. <laughs> Chukotai. I think I, mis- I think I mispronounced his name my entire childhood until someone corrected me and they're like, it's Chakotay, you idiot. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, they say it in every episode. Yeah. Regardless, great voice cast. Very excited to see where they go with this. I'm going to jump the gun a little bit and I will say that it is worth the price of subscription. Would you agree? Disagree? We normally get our housekeeping out of the way at the beginning, but we usually we only watch the pilot 
on most new shows. Right. Because let's, you know, we release an episode per thing that we watch. But I think just based on the pilots or the two-parter that we're getting, yes. But I don't know if I'll ever watch another episode unless I've got a younger, like uh, a younger person with me, like as they come out. You know, like once the series is released, mm. I might binge binge all the episodes. But sure. I'm like, you know, I'm just not going to be sitting in front of my TV with a control with the remote in my hand going <gasps> and just getting ready to watch them. As I, I get out. that. I, I I also don't know if I'll watch week to week or just binge it. It's not. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how I feel. Now, that being said. We do have an open slot the Monday after the last episode releases, <laughs> or we could do a season one review. Recap. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Also, based on so far what we have, the first episode is sitting at a 7.8 out of 10. Interesting that the episode itself, there's only one episode, 7.8 yeah. overall show, 6.7. Well, I think that could be attributed if you, to- If you look at those reviews, you're going to get upset. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. Don't look at the reviews because half the people are, this is for kids and I hate it. Why is it so much like yeah. Star Wars? Uh, it's not perfect. I don't like I don't like new things. Uh, let's talk about the ship. Yes. Let's talk about the protostar. So we, we've gotten, we're no longer talking about the show. Now we're in full Star Trek mode. Let's dissect the lore. <laughs> I really thought the bridge was cool. It's very Kelvin-verse bridge i liked it like the one of the things that you can that most people have a lot of positive things to say about star trek kelvin um timeline is that they made the ship a movie oh yeah and i don't know i i'm gonna push back a little bit when you say that it's very kelvin verse i mean it it reminds me more of the kind of discovery discovery did a really good job whatever you want to say about it it did a really good job of combining original series and Kelvin verse stuff and kind of molding them together. And I think this is just a continuation of that. This is the same idea, yeah. but with, well, you know, Voyager 90s Trek bridge. I mean, I guess I get the influence because I, I said no and then I, and then I immediately compared it to the same thing, but I don't want to give full credit <laughs> to Kelvin verse. I think that there's been a lot of design over the last four years or so, or however long pre-production started, however long ago pre-production started for, for discovery to really define what this era of Star Trek looks like, if that makes sense. And I think this fits yeah. into that very, very well. Well, maybe just influence from, like, the bridges from TOS all the way to Voyager were television show sets. Yeah. Right? Even in the movies, we're yeah. still using the original bridge, which is kind of closed off, a little claustrophobic. And when Star Trek 2009 came out, they opened it up. And we had, like... The huge, massive view screen that took up like an entire wall, not just the tiny little television sitting on a wall that Riker and Data mounted before the ship launched, right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they came over, they had a couple beers, you know, they mounted it, and then they realized that they didn't drill, they didn't drill the holes to run the right. cable, so they got to take the TV off the wall. They were wall. like, I thought you were yeah. going to bring the level. I don't have a level. Yeah, 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 right. And Discovery immediately took that from the Kelvin verse. So yeah, you are right. I would agree with you. It's also a, you. it's less yeah. taken influence from Kelvin verse and just budget. Rewatch some TNG episodes and just be like, and just oh, sure. oh, they're having this big space battle and you don't see any of it. It's budget. It's just budget. That's yeah. all it is. I think that they did as well as they could with what they had. Yeah, in all, in all, of them. I'm not complaining. Yeah. 
as much as the discovery and the stuff we saw in Picard and now this is a, a slightly different style, it's more of a realization of what it could have been with a bigger budget sure. and what than than it is a complete just departure and alienation of what was before. If that makes sense, yeah. Well, I, th- I think you even described discovery on our podcast as not not aesthetic, but like a visual remake. It's a visual or a visual reboot yeah. overhaul, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, of what the original series could have been. Right? Yeah, I agree with you totally. I'm just saying, like when they sat when they first got on the bridge, I was like, oh. Cool. The ship itself, the it's not even a saucer section anymore at this point, but the saucer wow. section, very, very much influenced by, I guess, the intrepid style. Very intrepid uh, style. Class. Yeah. But the nacelles and the, I guess, I still don't know what it's called, but the thorax portion of the ship. The engineering hole. Very much NX-01. Yeah. Enterprise inspiration. But I think that's just typical whenever a ship is a prototype in Starfleet. Just going to go ahead and jump on into the 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 lore here those engineers just do random stuff and sometimes it sticks sometimes it doesn't (laughs) i thought the ship was really interesting i thought it was really neat it looked like a tiny voyager like a really really tiny one for it like when they first showed it and then when they showed the nacelles i was like oh okay so kind of swept back Mm -hmm. more of that semi-sovereign kind of style did you watch all of the credits yes the theme song and all that like there's something going on from the middle, from directly behind the ship, from the engineering hole, there's an it looks like another exhaust of some sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not sure what that is though. It looked like also that the nacelles moved a little bit, just like Voyagers. It's a more homage to that. Oh, you, you sorry to go back to the bridge because you didn't mention it. Stairs. You get to the bridge using stairs instead of a turbo lift, instead of just walking into it from wherever well, else. Well, if you if you look at the sh- if you look at one of the promotional images of the ship. It doesn't look that big in comparison. So I'm wondering if they don't have that many decks. Mm-hmm. So it would, it from, an, from an engineering standpoint, because yeah. wh- when they first get on the ship, I said out loud, stairs. Like my wife looked at me and was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I haven't seen stairs on a Federation starship since Star Trek The Motion Picture. I don't even remember that. I was trying to remember. Yeah. I don't think I have a recollection because that blanked that movie out. I don't have a recollection of stairs. I mean, ladders, right? But never stairs. Ramps on occasion, I guess. It's also yeah, they- not very, you know, it's not, I don't think it's ADA compliant to be able to only get to your bridge via <laughs> stairs. <laughs> there were handrails. To be right. Fair. But that doesn't help with my wheelchair or my hover <laughs> chair or whatever it is I end up with when I have Captain Pike disease. <laughs> <laughs> when I've been exposed to too much. What was it? Ra- oh, I'm sure they could just. I'm sure they just transport side to side transport you right up. You're good. I, well, I actually will retract my previous statement. There were stairs in the 2009 Star Trek because when they're running around engineering. Oh, when they're like, you're right. When they're running around cat, that there's, room, that but that's more t- of a catwalk as opposed to actual yeah. like a staircase. That room like, that was too large to actually fit inside the ship. Yeah, <laughs> it's massive. The oh yeah, I watched um, Hunt for Red October and I wanted to recreate that. Missile yeah. silo in the in the ship. I mean, yeah. who hasn't watched Red Run for Red October and wanted to recreate <laughs> any part of it at any in point? In fact, I might go watch that right now. <laughs> I thought the ship was really cool. I'm really interested into to as to why it's there. It's called the Proto Star. It prototype, is a Proto Star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first of all, why is it where it is? Why is it in the Delta Quadrant? Why aren't there any Federation crew members on it? 
So I like, sent you a couple of screenshots. I looked at one. The first one shows on the L cars display trans warp. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. Yeah. So possible trans warp technology, which means it could get get out there very much, much more quickly than well, it would get out there much more quickly than the Voyager came home. I guess would be the way of putting that. And then the next, it's another display. Proto engine control system. Yeah, from some promotion called yeah, the Proto Engine Control System, the Proto Core. So I'm thinking that this is more than just a normal NX prototype and that it's an iteration of something and more of a experimental engine with the the transwarp or with this apparently it contains no less than seven turbines or turbines if you're a peasant where are you seeing the turbines so in the picture turbine one turbine two turbine three turbine four. oh there it is yeah turbine seven yeah so i'm thinking it's got an experimental engine maybe a multiple experimental engines we'll see i'm sure we'll find out in the third second third episode so I thought that they were mining dilithium, but they're apparently mining a crystal called chimerium or chimerium, which yeah. is known for its sensor blocking properties, mm. which is why, which makes sense why he couldn't just scan the asteroid and find the protostar. So it's just little things, you know, I'm, I'm happy for little, little tiny things like that. That Oh, why? Why couldn't he just scan for it? Well, blah, blah, blah. You know, they've already kind of thought of, of some of these things. I like the look of the ship. I like that it's obviously very different, but still an homage to the Intrepid class. I think it's a great choice. And I'm really, really excited to watch more of the show. Even if even if the plot stays at a child level, I just want to see all of the little Star Trek bits and the little little lore things. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Yeah. If anyone out there has watched the show and they want to share their opinions, tell us why we're wrong, why we're right. Whatever it may be, you can reach out via email, scifiwiseguys at gmail.com. We're also on social media, at scifiwiseguys, on Twitter and Instagram. And if you really want to, I guess we still have, do we still have a Facebook group? We have a Facebook group, the Sci-Fi Wise Guys podcast group. If you reach out to us on there, we will respond. We don't post a lot there, but we, you know, still get messages and whatnot. If you liked what you heard, we'd appreciate if you'd Click the follow button, the subscribe, the bell, the little heart, whatever it is on your podcasting platform of choice to get notified when new episodes come out and you know support the show. But of course, the, the best way of supporting the show is just to share us with your friends and then share us with your enemies. We'd really, really appreciate it. And if you really, really, really liked what you heard and you just got to go that extra mile, head on over to patreon.com forward slash sci-fi wise guys, become a patron, get access to member exclusive content special behind the scenes things we like to call out of pod in fact there might be 20 minutes of out of pod <laughs> that, that we recorded for this podcast that it's just anthony telling people to get off his lawn for about 20 minutes uh, <laughs> but stay healthy stay hydrated and uh if you ever find yourself uh on an asteroid down in the middle of the delta quadrant a prisoner of a bunch of robots just uh look for a starship yeah just look for it <laughs> Just look for a starship. No big deal. Yeah. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. So, spoilers for Star Trek Prodigy. Billy Campbell is listed as a guest star on Wikipedia.
Billy Campbell. Why does that name sound familiar? He plays a character named Thadian Okana. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, the outrageous Okana. This will be the third series he's shown up in. Man. Well, I mean the fourth because he's always in my heart. <laughs>